Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Welcome back to Sports Island. Uh, It feels good to be back. We had almost a month off from Sports Island and, um, you know, getting ready for the holidays just like everybody else. So busy time of the year for sure. And I certainly didn't think we would ever make it to the end of 2020 uh, when this pandemic first broke in March. But now that we've made it, it's been a long nine months and we're finally at the end of 2020. And I'm just as glad as everybody else that this year is about to be behind us. But it's been a busy, busy few weeks in the sports world. We have way more than a full episode for you. So we're going to jump right in and uh, we'll start off like we normally do. And that's in the PGA Tour. And there have been three PGA Tour events since the last episode. So we'll get you caught up on all those. The first event was December the 3rd through December the 6th, and that was the Mayakoba Golf Classic. And that was held at the El Camaleon Golf Club in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Had a pretty good field in that one. Uh, some top 10 players in the world were out there, uh, including a couple of my picks to click. And it was a pretty good tournament overall. Uh, the final standings, uh, Victor Hovland ended up winning that tournament with a score of 20 under par, and uh, he actually birdied the 18th hole on Sunday to give him the victory, and right behind him at number two was Aaron Wise with a score of 19 under par, and we had a tie for third, two guys, uh, Adam Long at 17 under and Tom Hoagie at 17 under as well. Uh, Both those guys were within reach. But in the end, it was Hovland that pulled it out and got the victory, uh, his second career PGA Tour victory. Now, my picks to click. We'll check out Rick's picks to click for the Mayakoba Golf Classic. So before that got going, I gave you three guys. Uh, Again, if you're uh, new to Sports Island, Rick's picks to click. I give you three golfers each week that I think are going to do well that week and finish inside that top 25. And my first pick to click for the Mayakoba Golf Classic was Abraham Anser. He is a Mexican-born golfer. No PGA Tour event in Mexico has ever had a Mexican-born winner. And Abraham Anser does not have a victory on the PGA Tour yet, so I figured he would come out and play pretty well and get inside that top 25, and he just absolutely did that. He, uh, He finished at... 12th, tied for 12th with a score of 14 under par. And in order to reach that, he actually shot a five under on Sunday's final round, which boosted him up inside that top 25. My second pick to click was Brooks Kepka. And the way that Kepka had been playing, uh, he had a slow start coming back from his, his uh, knee surgery. 
and uh, didn't look real great in his first few events, but he had a couple of majors under his belt and got himself right. So I thought uh, with the lack of you know elite level players, there were a few, but um, I, I figured that Kepka would come out and uh, certainly finish inside that top 25. But instead, he went out and he finished a pair of uh, with a pair of 71s, which is even par. He shot even par both rounds. He actually missed the cut by one shot. So uh, Kepka did not click for me. And my final pick to click for the Mayakoba Golf Classic was Justin Thomas. And Thomas, he was had come into this event hotter than a fox in a forest fire. Uh, I mean, this guy, in his last five starts previous to the Mayakoba, he had not finished any worse than 12th, uh, which is just incredible. And... His final score was 14 under par, just to like Abraham answer, which put him in a 12th place tie. But on moving day, Saturday's round, Justin Thomas shot a 9 under 62, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, that really boosted him up the leaderboard because uh, his first couple rounds, I think he was at even par after two rounds. Or, or he was at one under par because he made the cut. So he was at like one under par and then just catapulted himself up the leaderboard with a nine under on Saturday. But so I I, I got two guys that tied for 12th and I missed a cut on the other one. So I did go two for three in my picks to click at the Mayakoba. Now the event that following weekend, December the 11th through December the 13th, was the QBE shootout. And the format for this was very interesting. It is a uh, it was a two man event, so the teams were were comprised of, of two golfers, and it was a fifty four hole event, so three rounds. The first round was a scramble, where you play best ball. Second round was a modified alternate shot, where the players, of course, alternate shots. And the third round was a four ball competition, so you played everybody's ball. Now. This was this event was held at the Tiburon Golf Course in Naples, Florida. And the defending champions were Rory Sabatini and Kevin Tway. Now, the the winners for this event this year were Harris English and Matt Kuchar with a combined score of 37 under par. Uh, this was the third time that English and Kuchar have won this event as a pair. So they are definitely familiar with this event and knock it out of the park every year, it seems like. Your defending champs, like I just mentioned, Sabatini and Tway, they actually finished in second, or tied for second, at 28 under par. So nine shots back of English and Kuchar. The other two groups uh, that were tied at 28 under par was the uh, rookie team of Lanto Griffin and Mackenzie Hughes. A couple of great young golfers there. And the other one was Kevin Na and Sean O'Hare. So those three groups all finished at 28 under par, nine shots back of the English and Kuchar tandem that uh, won that event. And I didn't watch any of the QBE shootout, um, but with the format, you know, the way it is, it's, it's no surprise that the scores were as low as they were. Now, the following event, which uh, was December 19th through the 20th, last weekend, was the PNC Championship. And that was held at the Ritz-Carlton Golf Club in Orlando, Florida. And this event is really neat. 
in order to qualify for this event, you had to, the PGA golfer, had to have either won a major championship or the player's championship. And they got to play with a family member of their choice. And the common theme was the father-son tandem. There were a lot of uh, father-son tandems in the field. Um, Most of them, the uh, golfer was the son, but there were a couple in which the golfer was the father. And um, the team that ended up winning was Team Thomas, which is Justin Thomas and his dad, Mike Thomas. They won with a score of 25 under par. And that included uh, birdies on 15 holes on Sunday. So they birdied 15 out of the 18 holes on Sunday. Now, the format for this, it was a scramble. It was a two-man scramble, and it was only 36 holes, so two rounds. So to birdie 15 out of 18 holes is, is pretty damn good. And so Justin Thomas, continuing right where he left off, Uh, Still has not in his last seven events, if you include the Mayakoba and now the PNC Championship. In his last seven events, he has not finished any worse than 12th, which is just outstanding. Uh, He's he's going to win a major championship this year. Uh, You can book that. Second place was Team Singh, which is Vijay Singh. Uh, He's an old school golfer, been around a while, and he finished at 24 under par. Third place was Team O'Meara. Uh, another old-school golfer. He finished at 23 under par. But the highlight of the weekend was Team Woods, which is Tiger Woods, who opted to play with his 11-year-old son, Charlie Woods. Now, they finished at 7th place, which they had a score of 20 under par. So they were only five shots back of Team Thomas. Good for 7th place. But the story was Charlie Woods. Uh, if, if you watched any of this event or maybe you didn't watch it, but you saw highlights on social media, uh, Charlie Woods is a baller. That kid can golf. Now, his dad's Tiger Woods, so I get it. He's got the best training, best equipment, you know, um, the best of everything. But he still has to go perform. And he was hitting some shots that, I, you know, I would be, like, ecstatic if I hit. You know, I've seen him, uh, Charlie Woods hit a shot on a par 5 from 175 yards out, and he put it within 4 yards, and then Tiger let him drain the eagle putt, which, you know, the the kid is just really talented, and I would fully expect Charlie Woods to um, be on the PGA Tour here in maybe 5, 6 years or so. But, yeah, uh, that was a pretty cool event just to watch, uh, you know, for, you know, right around the holidays, you know, the whole family theme. It It was a pretty cool event. But that'll do it for the PGA Tour. We'll move over to the National Football League. And we are through 15 weeks of the NFL season already. And just a month ago month and a half ago, we were having COVID outbreaks left and right amongst these teams. But the NFL has somehow found a way to get past that and continue a season. Now, it hasn't been without challenges, of course. We've played uh, an NFL game uh, this year on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Saturday, and a Sunday. But fear not, because Christmas Day, Friday, 
December 25th, there is an NFL game between the Minnesota Vikings and the New Orleans Saints. So that will mean that after Christmas Day, there will be have, there will have been a, an NFL game on every single day of the week this year, which is the first time in NFL history that that's happened. But we kind of have a good uh, idea of the playoff picture. And, you know, a team that's been struggling lately is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they started the season 11-0. and And since they rattled off 11 straight wins, they have since lost their last three games to fall to 11-3. and And if you look at the Steelers, they've become totally one-dimensional. Just passing the ball. That's it. They have no run game. Running backs are not a threat. And it is, it's it's rough to watch. Because if you can stop the pass, you can beat the Steelers. And truthfully, I don't think the Steelers are going to win a playoff game. I think they're going to get outed in the first round, whoever they play. It's just, it's not looking pretty for the Steelers at all. But speaking of that uh, playoff picture, we'll start off in the AFC, just talking about the Steelers. The top spot right now through 15 weeks, two games left, remember. All right, so we got week 16 and 17. Every team plays two more games, and it starts tomorrow on Christmas. The Kansas City Chiefs hold the top spot at 13-1. and one. And, man, they look like a team on a mission. Um, I just don't see them losing in the playoffs. And we'll get to that in a second. Your two seed at the moment is the Buffalo Bills. They've clinched the AFC East for the first time since 1995. And they are legit. Uh, if you watch their games, Josh Allen has really developed into a top 10 NFL quarterback. He can beat you in the air. He might have the strongest arm in the league. And he can also beat you on the ground. And he's 6'5", 250 pounds. So uh, when he gets running, ain't a whole lot of folks that are going to be able to stop that. Your third seed is, of course, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, like I just said, are uh, 11-3. and And the Bills are also 11-3, and uh, but they have the tie break on the Steelers for the two seed because the Bills beat the Steelers head-to-head a few weeks back. The Steelers, uh, they have not clinched the AFC North. They are waiting for their last two games to do that. They do have a date with the Cleveland Browns, uh, which is going to pretty much determine the division champion but as of now the Steelers are in the top three now your fourth seed at the moment are the Tennessee Titans and they are first in the NFC South or AFC South rather and they look like a complete team Uh, Tannehill's playing again at a level of a top 10 quarterback and Derrick Henry my god that guy runs over everybody and everything that gets in his way. You've seen his stiff arms. The guy is a monster. And if they get the ground game going, good luck beating the Titans. The fifth seed at the moment in the AFC is the Cleveland Browns, and that could quickly change if they beat the Steelers. But the Browns uh, are 10-4, and four, just like the Titans. The sixth seed currently is the Indianapolis Colts, who are also 10-4. and four. They are... Second in the AFC South behind the Titans, who have beaten them this year in the tiebreak head-to-head games. And the Colts are, they're, they're, they'll probably get in 
Uh, they play the Steelers here in Week 16. That's a tough matchup, but um, I like for the Colts to to get in the playoffs. Phillip Rivers has kind of had a resurgence in Indianapolis. Um, they're not an exciting team to watch, but they uh, they're one of those ground and pound teams as well with the trio of running backs that they have. The final playoff spot in the AFC at the moment belongs to the Miami Dolphins. I mean, who would have thought that last year, the year before, that Miami would be in the playoffs? But they're currently sitting at 9-5, and five, and they have a Week 16 matchup here with the Las Vegas Raiders, who have been reeling as of late. So I like for Miami to be 10-5 and five after this week and sitting pretty for a playoff spot, which is just incredible to think about. Now, the only two teams on the bubble in the AFC that haven't officially been eliminated from playoff contention yet are the Baltimore Ravens and the Las Vegas Raiders. Baltimore is sitting at 9-5. and five. Vegas is at 7-7. Seven and seven. And Baltimore's got a date this week with the New York Giants. So you'd think that they're probably going to win that matchup to put them at 10-5. and five. That last playoff spot is probably going to come down to either Miami or Baltimore. And I'm not saying I like Miami more than Baltimore, but, man, Miami's defense is stingy. And when they get going, uh, it's going to be tough beating them. But keep in mind that the NFL playoffs this year are expanded. Uh, Seven teams from each conference make the playoffs with only the number one seed receiving the first-round bye, which is different from previous years where the top two seed had a first-round bye. So we'll flip over to the NFC and take a look at the playoff picture in the NFC. The top seed currently is the Green Bay Packers at 11-3. And And again, you know, they did not draft draft a wide receiver in the draft at all for Aaron Rodgers, which everybody was up in arms about that because they literally, outside of Devontae Adams... They have no weapons on the perimeter. Aaron Jones is a top 10 running back in the league. And they've kind of leaned on Adams and Jones this year to carry the load. And it helps when Rodgers has a 38-3 to three touchdown ratio like he's got currently, which, again, that's, that's absurd considering he has absolutely zero help outside of Devontae Adams. But they... They look pretty good to clinch that top spot. They got a tough one this week, week 16 against the Titans. Uh, That'll be a a great game to watch. The two seed currently in the NFC is the New Orleans Saints. They're 10-4, and and they just lost a stinker a couple weeks ago to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Lost a heartbreaker this last week against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, They were in that thing the whole game and kind of kind of lost it late in the game but the Saints uh you know if if they can get a home playoff game they're going to be a tough out you know which looks like they're at least good to maybe play their first game at home but uh, even though there's no fans that Superdome is is still uh, intimidating and it's still a tough place to play especially if the Saints can can uh, get firing on all cylinders Now, Michael Thomas is out for the rest of the regular season with the injury he's kind of had all year. I believe it's his ankle that's been bugging him. Saints have already ruled him out for the rest of the regular season, but he'll be back for the playoffs. Your third seed currently in the NFC is the Seattle Seahawks. 
They're uh, ten and four. And they have a date with the L.A. Rams this week. That's a uh, that's important for both teams. It's important for Seattle if they want that uh, a shot at that top seed, and it's important for the Rams, frankly, if they just want to make the playoffs. Uh, the Rams will we'll talk about them here in a second. But your your fourth seed in the NFC currently is the NFC East leading Washington Football Team, and they're at six and eight right now, and they have a Week 16 matchup with the Carolina Panthers. So Washington's going to be favored in that matchup against the Panthers. But I, with with Dwayne Haskins under center, I just don't see Washington as a threat to do anything in the playoffs. Now, if they do, it's because of their defense. They have the best defensive front seven probably in football, best defensive line for sure in football with four first-round picks on it. But if they can keep it low-scoring, Washington – uh, has a chance to win any game. That's kind of their mo. They let their defense keep a minute, and the offense scores a few points, and and that's how they've been getting their wins. But the fifth seed is the L.A. Rams. They're also nine and five. They're second in the NFC West, behind those Seattle Seahawks, who they play this week. And the Rams just lost in Week 15 to the New York Jets, the 0 and 13 New York Jets. Uh, Totally embarrassing for the Rams. They almost don't deserve to be in the playoffs because of that. But here they are. They're sitting right in the thick of things. And if they can beat Seattle, they'll be looking really good for the playoffs. Now the sixth seed currently in the NFC is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're at 9-5. and five, A game behind the New Orleans Saints in the NFC South. And for all the hype surrounding Tampa Bay this year... I feel like they're kind of a disappointing team. You know, they got Brady, they got Gronk, they got Antonio Brown to go with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Ronald Jones. And you look at this team and you're like, how are they only 9-5? and five? Uh, Their defense is good. It's just, it's. I feel like 9-5 and five for them is an extreme disappointment. We'll have to see. They got a date with the Detroit Lions this week. You like Tampa Bay's chances in that one. Now, the, the final playoff spot currently in the NFC belongs to the Arizona Cardinals. They're nine, uh, they're eight and six, rather, um, behind the Rams and the Seahawks in that NFC West. And they play the 49ers, San Francisco, this week. And you like the Cardinals' chances in that. Um, Kyler Murray's been starting to run the ball more after his shoulder injury, which is going to be crucial if they want to win. I like their chances to win this week. And given the gap that they have, if if they were to win, um, they uh, can they kind of control their own destiny. The Cardinals do because on the bubble right now are the Chicago Bears at seven and seven, Minnesota Vikings at six and eight, Dallas Cowboys and New York Giants at five and nine. And the only reason that those two teams have a chance at the playoffs is because they play in the NFC East, and they're only a game back of Washington. Now, a game and a half back of Washington is the Philadelphia Eagles, who are 4-9-1 and and mathematically still have a chance at the playoffs if they can win their last two games. Now, the Cowboys and the Eagles play each other this week in Week 16, so that's going to be uh, substantial in terms of who wins the NFC East. But that's how the playoffs look currently in the NFL, and uh, the NFL draft order is starting to take shape. 
Jacksonville Jaguars uh, passed the New York Jets for the first pick because the Jets decided to beat the Rams, and the Jaguars own the tiebreaker of strength of schedule over the Jets. So unless one of those teams wins another game or ties another game, it looks like the Jaguars are going to have the top pick in the draft, and the Jets will be picking second. And the Cincinnati Bengals pretty much seem to have a stronghold on that uh third overall pick but we'll move over to the NCAA in college football and we'll roll it back a couple weeks and the Big Ten they had come out with a rule at the beginning of this season that said in order to be eligible for the Big Ten Championship game, you had to play at least six regular season games. Well, Ohio State's game against Michigan got canceled so because of COVID on the Michigan side. So that locked them in at five wins. They were 5-0. and oh. Now, the eye test would tell you that Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten, and they deserve to be playing in the Big Ten Championship. And there was a lot of drama about whether to allow Ohio State in to the Big Ten Championship or not because they didn't meet that six-game minimum. Well, the Big Ten figured, oh, well, Ohio State's our best chance to make the most money and get a team into the playoffs. So, yeah, we'll go ahead and allow them to play in the Big Ten Championship. I don't have an issue there. You made that rule this year because of the COVID-shortened season. This year was wacky to begin with. Basically, from start to finish, you had games postponed, players tested daily, that whole thing. You know, I don't have an issue with the Big Ten putting Ohio State in because they were the best team in the Big Ten this year. And they played Northwestern in that Big Ten championship and beat them. So it wasn't an impressive victory, but they beat them. So Ohio State was 6-0 and as the Big Ten champs. And that'll kind of lead right into the final college football playoff rankings, which were released the other day. Coming in at number one, to nobody's surprise, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Number two team in the rankings was the Clemson Tigers. They beat Notre Dame in the ACC championship rematch to move past them and go up to number two. Number three in the playoff rankings, the Ohio State Buckeyes, 6-0 Big Ten champs. So the Big Ten, allowing them to play in the conference championship basically was a gift to them, to themselves, to allow Ohio State into the Final Four. Now the fourth seed in the college football playoff rankings is the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They got clobbered by Clemson in the ACC championship, but they finished the season 10-1, and their only loss being in that ACC championship game. They had beaten Clemson earlier in the year, at home in a double overtime thriller. The fifth team in the rankings were the Texas A&M Aggies and the sixth team were your Big 12 champs, Oklahoma Sooners. Now, there was a lot of uproar about Texas A&M being in the playoffs over Notre Dame. Both teams finished with one loss between Notre Dame and Texas A&M. Each team had one loss. Neither team was a conference champion. Notre Dame played more games than A&M. They also beat Clemson. 
in the regular season. I don't have an issue with Notre Dame being fourth in the rankings. Um, I I don't see how you can justify A&M getting in over Notre Dame when A&M just got absolutely pummeled by Alabama in the regulars. They lost by four touchdowns, for God's sakes. So if you put A&M in at that fourth spot, guess who they get to play? Alabama. That game would still be four touchdowns on any day of the week that it was played. I think Notre Dame brings Alabama more of a competitive edge, although I think Alabama's going to just do what Alabama does. Uh, so that's your, your Rose Bowl matchup, the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And the All-State Sugar Bowl is the number two Clemson Tigers, number three Ohio State Buckeyes. You want predictions for those games? I'm going to go Alabama over Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl and Clemson over Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl. Not really a surprise. There's absolutely no way Alabama loses. And I think the Clemson-Ohio State game will be close. I think it'll be a good game. You got Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, top two quarterbacks in the country, going head-to-head. But as far as depth and just overall talent, I like Clemson in that. Give them the edge there, so... I think we'll have a Alabama-Clemson rematch for like the fourth time in the last five years or something stupid like that. But the the uh, college football bowl schedule is, was announced, and bowl season's actually already underway. There's There's been about uh, seven or eight bowl games that have already been played. And the New Year's Six, of course, you got uh, the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl that we just talked about. But the other New Year's Six games on uh, December 30th, you have – Goodyear Cotton Bowl. That's the number six Oklahoma Sooners against the number seven Florida Gators. That's going to be a barn burner. Florida's great, both sides of the ball. Uh, Oklahoma's offense has looked good. They've looked like a really good team since losing two games kind of early in the season. Um, I like uh, I like Florida to come out on top because I think their defense is a little better. But I would not be surprised if Oklahoma beat Florida. Now, on January 2nd, of course, both playoff games are on January 1st. New Year's Day, you have Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl. Also on New Year's Day, January 1st, is the Peach Bowl. Chick-fil-A, Peach Bowl. Number 8, Cincinnati. Number 9, Georgia. This is Cincinnati's chance to prove they're the real deal. They were 11-0, undefeated conference champions. Put them against a, a good SEC team in Georgia. Let's see how they do. You win that game, then you can say that you deserve to be in that top four. But the next day, on January 2nd, you have the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, which features number 25, Oregon, against number 10, Ohio, uh, Iowa State, rather. And the Capital One Orange Bowl, which is number 5, Texas A&M Aggies, against number 13, North Carolina Tar Heels. Now, it is an absolute crime that Coastal Carolina did not get a New Year's Six Bowl game. They went 11-0. They're co-conference champions. The only reason they're co-conference champions is because they had a slight COVID issue right before their conference championship. So that's the only reason that they didn't get to play in their conference championship game. But they still went 11-0. They still have two wins over top 25 teams. Why the hell is North Carolina in a New Year's Six Bowl game 
over the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. I want to recount on that because I think Coastal Carolina, they've had the best season that they're probably ever going to have in school history. They need to be in a New Year's Six Bowl game. But who am I? So that's that's the New Year's Six Bowl schedule. Kind of a, a you know, get you up to date on, on college football. But we'll move over to the National Basketball Association. And the NBA, they actually just started their season a couple nights ago on the 22nd of December. They uh, got a few games in. They're doing a 72-game season, which is only 10 games fewer than a normal season. And so far, the way that they did the schedule, the NBA has only released half the schedule, and they'll release half the, the, the final half of the schedule uh, after the first half was played. But they wanted to start the NBA on December 22nd so they could kind of showcase the NBA on Christmas Day like they've done here these last several years. The NBA has kind of taken over Christmas Day, and um, they got games running all day on Christmas. There's five games scheduled for the NBA on Christmas Day, and it starts at noon Eastern. The New Orleans Pelicans take on the Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat. After that one, at 2.30 Eastern, you have the Golden State Warriors against the Milwaukee Bucks. At 5 Eastern, the Brooklyn Nets go to Boston to take on the Celtics. The primetime game of the night at 8 o'clock Eastern features my Dallas Mavericks going out to Los Angeles to take on the defending NBA champion Los Angeles Lakers. That's going to be a great game. LeBron James, Anthony Davis against Luka Doncic. What more could you ask for there? The nightcap is the Los Angeles Clippers going up to take on the Denver Nuggets. That game's at 10.30 Eastern. So you got five good games, 10 teams, and you got some mega superstars in the NBA. Pretty much any mega superstar you could think of in the NBA is playing on Christmas Day. And uh, no, that's not a coincidence, and that's precisely why the NBA wanted to get their season in. Um, But just some quick predictions for the NBA season. Um, A team, I think the Lakers are going to win the West again. I mean, they they just got better. They got LeBron James, Anthony Davis, but they also... Uh, added Dennis Schroeder and Montrez Harrell in the offseason. And that's that's just that's almost unfair. So I like the Lakers to win the West, but a team to watch in the West is the Dallas Mavericks. They got into the playoffs last year as a seven seed and uh, pretty much gave the Clippers all they could handle, really, uh, in those first four or five games. But uh, in the East, man, how can you not go with the Bucks? Uh, you know, I... I like the Bucks, but I'm going to pick the Brooklyn Nets to win the East just because Kevin Durant is healthy. And in 25 minutes the other night, the season opener, he scored 22 points. And he looked almost as if he was never even hurt. So you get Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant rolling. Give me the Brooklyn Nets to win the East. But a team to watch out for in the East, the Boston Celtics. Um you know they're they're a good team, but Miami 
Miami was the Eastern Conference champ, so you know they're going to be up there. 76ers are, you know, they, they still got Simmons and MB. They're going to be up there. But uh, I would not be surprised if, if Boston made some noise in the Eastern Conference this year. But we'll move on from the NBA. We'll head over to the National Hockey League. And the NHL, finally, we were waiting to hear something from the NHL about when they would start their season. It just it seemed, seemed as though um, we just... They waited until the 11th hour to announce anything. But the NHL Players Association, they finally agreed on a start date of January 13th. And it will feature a 56-game schedule, which a normal season is 82 games. So you're, you know... 26 games shy of of a regular season. So that's a pretty good chunk. You're losing about a quarter of your games uh, in the NHL. Not the season's not quite as long as the NBA. But the NHL just announced that there will be a division realignment for this year only. Now keep in mind the travel restriction between the United States and Canada is still in effect. And Prime Minister Trudeau has no intention of removing that restriction until COVID passes. So uh, they had a bit of an issue because the NHL has eight Canadian teams. Or seven, rather. Excuse me. They have seven Canadian teams. So what they did for the division realignment, they got north, central, east, and west. All right? As opposed to the normal divisions. So in the North Division, it's an all-Canadian division. The seven teams in that division are all the Canadian teams. That way they can travel amongst... Uh, all games are going to be played inter-division in the NHL this season. So you will not play any games outside of your own division. So in the North Division, you have the Calgary Flames, the Edmonton Oilers, the Montreal Canadiens, the Ottawa Senators, Toronto Maple Leafs, Vancouver Canucks, and Winnipeg Jets. In the West Division, you have the Anaheim Ducks, Arizona Coyotes, Colorado Avalanche, Los Angeles Kings, Minnesota Wild, San Jose Sharks, St. Louis Blues, and Vegas Golden Knights. That's going to be a tough division there. The Central Division features the Carolina Hurricanes, Chicago Blackhawks, Columbus Blue Jackets, Dallas Stars, Detroit Red Wings, Florida Panthers, Nashville Predators, and the defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. In the East Division, this one's a brute, man. You got Boston Bruins, Buffalo Sabres, New Jersey Devils, New York Islanders, New York Rangers, Philadelphia Flyers, Pittsburgh Penguins, and Washington Capitals. And that division is going to be tough. And, uh, you know, the top eight teams... Um. Well, there's a, there's eight teams in the in the west, in the central, and east, and only seven teams in the north. Now, like I said, you're only playing games interdivision, so each division will play their 56 games against common opponents in their division. Now, a weird thing with the NHL's schedule is that they're going to be playing. Uh, multiple games against the same team in a row. So it 
the, the schedule allows for baseball-style homestands, right? So you have teams playing multiple teams or multiple times before leaving town. And, and in one example of this is the Los Angeles Kings and the Anaheim Ducks. They're actually scheduled to play each other five games in a row between April 20th and May 1st. Now, in the uh, Canadian division, the North division, the Kachuk brothers, Brady, who plays for the Ottawa Senators, and Matthew, who plays for the Calgary Flames, they play each other five times in an 11-day span between February 25th and March 7th. So the way that, you know, basically they're helping to limit travel. So you're going to have teams playing the same team in several games in a row before flying to another city to play. And some critical dates for the NHL's calendar this year. December 31st, New Year's Eve. Training camps are open for the seven non-playoff teams from this past season. Now, there's only seven non-playoff teams because they had the expanded playoffs. So they get to start training camp four days earlier than the other 24 playoff teams who can start training camp on January 3rd. Of course, January 13th, the regular season begins. Trade deadline's April 12th. The final game of the regular season's on May the 8th, which is uh, about a month later than it normally would be. Stanley Cup playoffs are set to begin on May the 11th, and the last possible day for the Stanley Cup final would be July 9th. So they're still going to wrap up in the summer, but it's not going to be the extended, you know, uh, October finish that we had this year. So that'll be good to kind of get the NHL back and the NBA too, I guess, back on a more regular schedule, more normal, you know, October to April is a normal season for both those leagues. So they're, they'll both be finishing up uh, in July. So we'll move on now to our segment called Around the Island. And this is where we just do some quick hit topics from around the various sports. And we'll start off, uh, we'll just pick it right back up in the NBA. And we've had some, there were, the NBA free agency opened, of course, before the season started. There were a couple of uh, massive, massive contract extensions. Um, The first was LeBron James. He signed a two-year deal worth $85.7 million. And that's just insane. That keeps him in L.A. for the next couple, well, next three seasons, really. This season and the two others uh, beyond that. And just to break down the absurdity of LeBron James's contract, making $87.5 million over the next two years. That's $3.57 million per month. Per day, LeBron James makes $117,397 per day. His hourly rate, just any given hour, $4,891, which comes out to $82 a minute, and $1.36 per second. That is ridiculous money. I mean, just absolutely ridiculous money. And not to be outdone, Anthony Davis decided he wants to stay in L.A. because why not? You play alongside LeBron James, you're going to be probably near the NBA Finals every year that you're there. He signed a five-year deal worth $190 million max. Uh, Some of that is incentive-based. 
But again, just absolutely ridiculous money. And of course, not to be outdone with that, Milwaukee Bucks star Giannis Antetokounmpo, two-time reigning NBA MVP, mind you, signed a five-year Supermax deal with the Milwaukee Bucks. He was set to be a free agent after this season, and there was a lot of rumors and speculation that he was going to leave Milwaukee and move on somewhere else, more higher profile. But he decided that Milwaukee's his home, so he signed a five-year deal worth an NBA record $228 million. Now, you thought LeBron James made a lot of money? Check out Antetokounmpo. So it's, it's $228 million over five seasons. So every season, he's making $45.6 million. That comes out to $556,000 per game. Per game, he makes $556,000. Every quarter, whether he plays or not, makes $139,000 per quarter. Every minute of the game that goes by, Giannis makes $11,600 jump change and every second of the game is $193 so just to put that in perspective these NBA stars are just making absurd amounts of money now the biggest trade that went down in the NBA offseason was that which involved the Washington Wizards and the Houston Rockets and the Houston Rockets traded Russell Westbrook to the Washington Wizards for John Wall and a first round pick which is Uh, Lottery protected, but nonetheless a first-round pick. And it's two superstars getting traded for one another. I actually think a change of scenery will benefit both of them. Westbrook kind of got a little stale in Houston alongside uh, Harden. And Wall hasn't played in almost two years due to injury. So that trade, I think, benefits both teams. But the biggest, uh, some bigger news out of the NBA is that they actually, the NBA and the Players Association, they agreed not to conduct random testing this season uh, due to unusual circumstances in conjunction with the pandemic. So that means that the NBA is not testing for marijuana or, you know, a player can't get suspended for marijuana if for some reason they're caught smoking it or whatever. But that's some big news because that probably saves quite a few guys from uh, getting in trouble. But the uh, NBA's commissioner, David Stern, he came out and said that the NBA is considering a... I'm sorry, the NBA's commissioner is Adam Silver. Adam Silver came out and said that the NBA is looking into possible expansion into the league, adding teams. Uh, Didn't say anything imminent, you know, like next year or the year after, but the NBA is wanting to expand the league. And, of course, the first thought that comes to mind, the Seattle Supersonics. They used to have a team. They moved to Oklahoma City. So... Why not start with Seattle and give them their team back? That seems to be kind of the popular uh, opinion of of the uh, 
fans of the NBA. But we'll have to see on that. That'll be interesting. The NHL, of course, has just recently expanded their teams with the addition of the Vegas Golden Knights a few years ago. And now this next, not this season, but 2021-2022 season, the Seattle Kraken. So another reason why Seattle should probably get an NBA team if it were to expand. But we'll move over to the PGA Tour. And in the PGA Tour, a new location for the President's Cup was announced for the 2026 President's Cup. And that's set to take place at Medina Country Club in Medina, Illinois. And, of course, President's Cup uh, is always a great event to watch. Um, You know, a lot of top-flight golfers take place in that. And uh, it's just a good good competition between the U.S. and Europe. And uh, just... Always a good time. So it's it'll be on uh, on home soil here in 2026. But the other news out of the PGA Tour is that Commissioner Jay Monahan said that uh, he does not believe the COVID vaccine is going to be manned, uh, mandated for players, officials, or spectators. Now, you can't really mandate that spectators have it, but players and officials, you can. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised by that. I know golfing is kind of a social distance sport as it is you're outdoors and you're uh, not really close to anybody other than your caddy Uh, pga has had roughly 20 positive tests throughout their season that just wrapped up and started over so they haven't had any real outbreaks they've been able to keep it under control but i'm i'm curious to see if other leagues are going to mandate players getting vaccinated or not um, that'll be something to kind of stay tuned now that the vaccine's starting to kind of roll out. But uh, moving on from the PGA Tour, Major League Baseball, the pretty much the only noteworthy news out of the MLB the last few weeks deals with the Cleveland Indians. And the news came out that the Indians are going to be dropping their nickname. Similar to what the Washington football team did because of the Redskins uh, heritage, you know, maybe possibly being offensive to some people. So the Indians uh, will no longer be called the Indians. And um, any bets on what the Indians team name will be? Probably the Cleveland baseball team. That just seems to kind of be, uh, you know, copy what what the uh, Washington football team did. Pretty clever. So we'll, uh, we'll see what what new name the Cleveland baseball team comes up with, but they will no longer be called the Indians. But moving over to the National Football League, we'll circle back there. News from the last few weeks there. Houston Texans wide receiver Will Fuller. He has been suspended for six games for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing substance policy. Now, which is not good for Will Fuller. Now, the Texans aren't making the playoffs. They're they're having an abysmal season. Their team is in shambles. They fired Bill O'Brien, their coach, and GM, just because of his stupidity ruining this team. But Will Fuller's a free agent after this year, so he's missing the rest of this year, and a sixth game uh, carries him into 
next season where he'll miss next year's opening game. So wherever he signs as a free agent, whether he stays in Houston or goes somewhere else, he uh, he ain't going to be playing the opening week. So we'll have to see on that. Um, sucks for him on timing. But remember Josh Gordon? Remember that guy? Yeah, he uh, the NFL did away with their marijuana policy this year. So marijuana is no longer considered an illegal substance in the NFL, or at least you can't get suspended for it uh, if you test positive for it. So that helped none other than the Josh Gordon, wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks. And he had gotten reinstated earlier this year, and he was eligible to participate in week 16 and 17, assuming he met all conditions. So all he had to do was stay straight on his terms of his reinstatement, and he was playing. Well, the other day, news broke that he failed to meet terms of his conditional reinstatement, and his return to the field is now on hold. So I don't know if he failed a drug test with something other than marijuana, but he did not meet the requirements of his conditional reinstatement. So we're not seeing Josh Gordon this year. That dude, man, I I don't have any words for that. Um, if it isn't drug-related, he just needs to forget about football. Football needs to be on the absolute back burner, and he just needs to move the hell on and uh, get his personal life situated. But some other news in the NFL, New York Jets. Man, I told you they beat the Rams this week and basically cost themselves the shot at the top overall pick in the draft. But their game against the Las Vegas Raiders a couple weeks back, they were winning, and it came down to the final play, which was a Hail Mary from David Carr to Henry Ruggs. And they completed it, so the Jets lost on a Hail Mary play. And they blitzed seven guys on that Hail Mary play, the Jets did, which almost looked intentional because you know it was going to be a Hail Mary and you still blitz seven guys. So after that game, defensive coordinator Greg Williams got the boot. I don't know how the hell you can justify firing Greg Williams over head coach Adam Gase. Adam Gase is a horrible coach and has done nothing but hurt this team in more ways than you can count. So, that's that's baffling to me. But the good news um, for the NFL as a whole is that they have experienced a drop in the positive coronavirus test results. Now, this stat is from the week of November 29th through December the 5th, which was right after last episode that we, that we had there was a 47% drop in positive tests, which is really good. And we haven't had any outbreaks for team outbreaks since the Baltimore Ravens got theirs under control a couple weeks ago. They were able to get healthy, get everybody back, and we've not had a positive outbreak amongst the team since the Ravens. But... 
well, hopefully that continues because the NFL has already said they're not doing a bubble for the playoffs. Uh, not sure why they're not, but they, uh, they're not doing that. So uh, we'll have to see on that. But hopefully the, the NFL has got it down now. They've made it through 15 weeks. They'll be able to get through these last two games. They'll be able to get through their playoffs. They'll be able to get through the Super Bowl, especially now that the vaccine is out and getting dispersed. Uh, we'll have a lot more fans in the stands here before too long. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League. Some quick news from the NHL. Washington Capitals, they signed future Hall of Fame goalie Henrik Lundqvist to a one-year contract. And this past week it was announced, he announced himself that uh, he has not been medically cleared to play this year. The doctors told him that due to a heart condition that was uh, found to have existed in his heart, Lundqvist will not be playing this year. That's an extreme bummer because uh, he he needed a change of scenery out of New York, and I think the Capitals, they're a, per, a perennial playoff team, and I think Lundquist has enough skill to kind of help get that team uh, back to the Stanley Cup Finals where they were there a couple years ago. But, man, that's a, that's a bummer. But the bigger, bigger news uh, deals with the defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. The Lightning announced uh, just yesterday, actually, that their all-star forward, Nikita Kucherov, he's going to be out for the year due to a surgery. Now, why he didn't have... it's He's got hip surgery. So Kucherov's having hip surgery and he's going to miss the whole year. And why Kucherov didn't have this hip surgery... Before, like after the Stanley Cup Finals ended, that's beyond me. Uh, the, this injury is not new; it's it's pre-existing. Not sure why he didn't get that cleaned up back in October, so he could at least be ready, possibly for the playoffs uh, next summer. But that's a big blow to the Lightning. I still think they're a playoff team. I still think they're going to compete in that Central Division uh, that they find themselves in this year. But without Kucherov, it's hard to envision. Uh, a legitimate repeat at a cup title. But we'll move on. Uh, this last bit of uh, around the island stuff deals with the NCAA and uh, college football. Man, there's plenty to talk about there. We'll start off the University of Florida football program. They've been placed on a one-year probation period, and head coach Dan Mullen has been given a one-year show cause order after the NCAA determined that the University of Florida's program violated recruiting contact rules on two occasions in 2019. So that doesn't impact their status for their uh, Cotton Bowl matchup against the Sooners of Oklahoma this, uh, this year. All it really means is that Florida is getting fined they're possibly losing some scholarships, limiting the number of days they can work out, etc. So that uh, at least it doesn't impact their their uh, Cotton Bowl, New Year's Six Bowl game. But um, the University of Illinois, they have hired longtime uh, Wisconsin and Arkansas coach Brett Bielema 
He signed, a, I believe it was a four-year contract with the University of Illinois to be their head football coach. As you remember, Illinois fired Lovey Smith this year, who had been the coach for the previous several seasons. And, yeah, so we'll see how Bielema does. He's, he's got his work cut out for him in the Big Ten. Illinois has not been a real good Big Ten team for a good while. So uh, good luck to Coach Bielema on that. Uh, now, the I talked about the bowl games for college football. The college football playoff semifinal of the Rose Bowl, that game, because of the restrictions and attendance with California-based stadiums, the college football playoff committee has moved the Rose Bowl game to AT&T Stadium here in Dallas, Texas. So we're not sure if the Rose Bowl is still going to be called the Rose Bowl, but it's going to be played. Alabama and Notre Dame are going to be playing here at AT&T Stadium. Now, it just it wouldn't feel right if it was called the Rose Bowl because it's not being played at the Rose Bowl, and I'm not sure what they would name it, but maybe just stick with college football playoff semifinal bowl game. But either way, it'll be here in Dallas, and it'll uh, be interesting to see uh, how that goes and how many fans make it out for that. I know Coach Brian Kelly at Notre Dame was pretty vocal this past week about having fans and families in the stands for these playoff games. So we'll have to uh, see if the move to AT&T Stadium benefits the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish at all. Gives them maybe more of a home field advantage. We'll see. But we'll move over to the most important football topic in college football, and that is the Heisman Trophy. And the finalists for the Heisman Trophy just got revealed tonight, Christmas Eve, And your four finalists for the Heisman Trophy are Alabama quarterback Mac Jones, Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, Florida quarterback Kyle Trask, and Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith. The six guys who failed to make the finalist list, coming in at number five in the voting, Alabama running back Najee Harris, number six, Iowa State running back Brees Hall, Number seven, Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. Number eight, BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. Number nine, Notre Dame quarterback Ian Book. And number 10, Florida tight end Kyle Pitts. And so your four finalists. Uh, I think any one of them could win the Heisman, and all four of them will probably be first-round picks in April's draft. So having said that, um, the Heisman Trophy has kind of become a quarterback statistical-driven award. Basically, it's been given to the quarterback with the flashiest stats. And over the last 20 college football seasons, two decades of college football, from the year 2000 until now, here in 2020, 17 out of those 20 Heisman winners have been quarterbacks. It's only been three non-quarterbacks to win in the last 20 years. And one of those was Reggie Bush back in 2005. And that trophy's since been vacated. So I don't even know if you can count that. But the other 
The only other two non-quarterbacks to win were both Alabama running backs, Mark Ingram in 2009 and Derrick Henry in 2015. And you can see why both of them won it. But still, that's absurd. The Heisman Trophy is literally given to the most outstanding football player. So it's the league MVP of college football. And if you want my opinion on who the league MVP this year is, it's Trevor Lawrence, straight up. Uh, he, he did miss two games. He only played in nine games. So his numbers aren't as flashy and as gaudy uh, as Kyle Trask or Mac Jones. Kyle Trask, of course, leads the FBS in passing yards and passing touchdowns, over 4,100 yards, 43 touchdowns passing. Mac Jones is doing his thing over at Alabama, tossing the ball to Devontae Smith, who has 98 catches for over 1,500 yards and 17 receiving touchdowns and a punt return touchdown, all in just 11 games. But Trevor Lawrence, he all you had to do was watch the ACC championship game against Notre Dame to see that he is the most outstanding player in college football. It's the Trevor Lawrence factor. Clemson lost to Notre Dame earlier in the year when Lawrence didn't play. Now, granted, it was a an overtime game, but still, Trevor Lawrence shows up, and here we go. He just pummels Notre Dame. So it's interesting, though, because the betting favorite right now in Vegas, the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman Trophy is Devontae Smith at minus 180. Coming in second in the odds, Mac Jones, plus 155. Trevor Lawrence is third at plus 1,600. And Kyle Trask comes in at plus 2,700. If I was betting, I'd throw some money on Lawrence. I can't believe he's plus 1,600, like third in, in the odds to win. That just seems outrageous. He is the most outstanding football player in college football. So if you want to give that award to who it should go to, it's Trevor Lawrence. And that's just straight up. But that'll wrap up around the island. I uh, have one piece of, of holiday humor, we'll call it. And that comes courtesy of the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee Titans linebacker Will Compton. He got a haircut the other day. And it is the most atrocious thing I've ever seen. He basically shaved his head from, his, from the midpoint down at a zero, leaving a full head of hair on the top half of his head. And his teammates and his team were, were joking with him. And the Tennessee Titans came out with a uh, social media post today of an injury report, which said that Will Compton was listed on the injury report with his injury being a haircut. He did not practice, and his game status is doubtful against Green Bay this week. Now, obviously, that's a joke, but the fact that they, uh, I mean, you have to, haven't seen it, should basically is what I'm saying. Go find that on the Titans Facebook page or Twitter or something and uh, check it out because it is just, it is, uh, it's a thing of beauty, I guess. But, man, 2020, what a year in sports. Sports changed for us uh, this year like we never thought it could or would. And, man, we haven't had fans in the stands in most venues in a long time. We're starting to get them back here slowly. 
the goal is to eventually uh, get everybody back full capacity in every stadium, every venue, and every league. And I think we should hopefully get to that point maybe by the end of this year, middle of this year. Um, but just to kind of put a, a bow on 2020 as a sports year, we'll just recap the major pro sports champions and MVPs. In the NBA, the NBA champs, Los Angeles Lakers. The league MVP, Milwaukee Bucks star Giannis Antetokounmpo. In the NFL, your Super Bowl champs this year were the Kansas City Chiefs. Your league MVP was Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. Major League Baseball, your champion were the L.A. Dodgers. Your league MVPs, National League, Atlanta Braves first baseman Freddie Freeman. In the American League, Chicago White Sox first baseman Jose Abreu. In the National Hockey League, Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. Your league MVP, Edmonton Oilers center Leon Dreisaitl. So that's just a recap of the 2020 sports year. And again, I look forward to getting back into stadiums myself, sitting in the, in the seats, screaming and cheering for my teams, just as all of you are looking forward to as well. And uh, again, what an unprecedented year we've had in 2020. So glad that it's over, and I'm looking forward to all that 2021 has to offer and uh, just extremely happy to be moving forward and getting sports back to it seems as though we're creeping back to normalcy and um, just hope that we can get there sooner rather than later but uh, this is the last episode in the 2020 calendar year and uh, I began this podcast at the beginning of this pandemic in 2020 and I'm grateful for all of the listens and follows and likes that I've gotten uh, in these last uh, however many nine months or so that I've been doing this and uh, I look forward to see what Sports Island has uh, here in 2021 and hopefully we can we can uh, keep improving Sports Island and, and making it uh, something that you want to listen to and I just really appreciate everybody's support and continued support and listens and uh, as we uh, wrap up 2020 so uh, I hope everybody has a very Merry Christmas a safe and happy New Year And uh, we'll catch you on the other side of 2021.